Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome to episode three of the Crossing Streams podcast brought to you by the Bizzlecast with the Bizzle and Maddie G. Matt, welcome back. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode three. Uh, we are very excited this week because we have the season debut, season premiere of The Expanse, sci-fi's sprawling political sci-fi action thing. Yeah. Uh, that we were both a little unsure if it was going to be good or not, mm-hmm. but holy crap, the premiere was actually pretty fun. It was really good, and we're going to jump right into the Expanse CW and, and uh, a bunch of other things, but a, a little house cleaning first, Matt. Um, I, people keep telling me uh, that I need to be self-promoting more on the podcast, so... I'm going to do this right up front. You guys should go to www.crossingstreamspodcast.com. It will take you to all of these shows. It's also now, I don't know why it wasn't before, but it's now also part of the main feed on SoundCloud, www.bizzlecast.com. But if you just subscribe to the Bizzlecast uh, podcast on any app, you will get all of these shows uh, should you want them. So please check us out. And just by downloading them and you know, if you leave a review or, or any Anything like that, any activity you do with it helps us get higher up on the list when people do searches. So please tell your friends. Um, we're not offended if you only have time to listen to half of it or something like that. You know, any amount of time you can give to us, we appreciate. We love entertaining. We love talking uh, to one another about the things that we love. And so we're glad you are enjoying it. And so uh, please continue uh, supporting us. Um, in a more um, personal note, Matt, uh, you and I were talking about I need a new lead in for a new podcast i came up with oi oi i think you know where that comes from uh why would i know where that is that a soccer thing no that's that's from uh felix and and sarah and orphan black that's their little uh you know london street oi oi miss us (laughs) you know uh, like the little greeting they they do to each other um and uh there you go and we very much are looking forward to to orphan black and those characters coming back um by the way my dad is is now telling me this may be his favorite show ever i'm not making this <laughs> up he's he's about to rewatch the entire thing after binging the entire thing which I, i've never seen him do with any show so we're very excited about orphan black this week we're talking about um expanse for sure uh we're going to talk some cw um we've got a uh got the moment for you perhaps Perhaps if you guys are lucky, um, anything uh, you want to share with the, the listeners, Matt, before we dive in? I think we should just get to it. Uh, we're going to touch back a little bit on Legends of Tomorrow just briefly, just because we didn't mention this season premiere last week and it's continuing that plot. So we are watching or I'm at least watching that one as well. Uh, so we will for completeness, completeness sake, excuse me, uh, you know, get a, get a sense or two in on that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we're at the beginning of February here, already a month into 2017, and, uh, you know, we're going to be entering sooner rather than later. Before we know it, it's going to hit us where, you know, sort of the main, uh, you know, fall, winter, spring schedule of shows like on the CW start hitting the winter shows, which we're already getting, like Legion next week and The Expanse, uh, Expanse this week, and then, of course, the spring shows, Orphan Black, um, HBO. Uh, so before we jump into The uh, the Expanse, man, because you and I both really want to talk about the uh, season two premiere, which for the most part was really, really good and entertaining. Any uh, watching strategies for people out there that are feeling overwhelmed? We're not even mentioning shows like you've been watching The Crown on Netflix and, um, you know, tons of good stuff on Netflix and Medici's. 
I started watching Troll Hunter, Hunters, the Guillermo del Toro uh, cartoon, which is really, really excellent. Um, any any watching strategies for people? How, how do you keep everything straight in your world of, of TV watching? I wish I had a good answer for that. <laughs> you know, I, I the best I can do is try to space it out as best you can. Don't, you know, binging is fine for one show, but if you have a bunch of shows you follow – even if you can't watch them the nights they air, try to DVR what you can if you can afford DVR or or whatever and space it out across the week. Because as much as I like any of these shows, if you watch too many of them in one sitting or too many hours of TV straight, you will lose the ability to retain a lot of what you're watching. Um, and so, you know, if all four of your shows air on Tuesday nights, unless you absolutely have to watch all of them that night, I would suggest maybe watching two and then catching up with the next two over the next few days. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and as have I, tr- you know, as you've gotten me to uh, start watching more shows on, on TV proper, not just on Netflix and Amazon, um, you know, I, I, I still do complain and hate fast forwarding through commercials. On the other hand, yeah, having a limited DVR is really helpful just from like a mental psychological standpoint, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, you go on Netflix and, and you go to your queue and there's like a thousand shows with a thousand episodes and you don't even know where to start and uh i i do have kind of an addictive personality which is why i don't watch much tv but then i'll get addicted to it you know whether it's orphan black or whatever and just watch like crazy um and, and so this is how b- building some uh, discipline uh in for me in fact uh verizon is now offering like a pretty cheap upgrade to basically unlimited dvr where you can record as many shows out at, at once as you want and basically unlimited storage because they store it remotely um as opposed to on your box um and uh i was like that's a horrible idea <laughs> i'm just gonna fill it up full of shit i'm never going to watch um so i think that is some that's some great advice um so as we jump into the episodes this week we are going to start with the expanse and Matt, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, talk about this episode and let you talk about this show. I just want to say my personal journey uh, with this uh, really quickly, and I am on board. And not only did I really like the two-part episode that we're mostly going to be talking about um, to, to start uh, season two of The Expanse on the Sci-Fi channel, but I've gone back and, and been getting further through season one, which I sort of stalled on. I had heard the book was amazing, and then before I got a chance to read the book, the show was announced, and I watched a couple episodes of the show i was kind of turned off by the coldness of it i wasn't really relating to the characters it had mm-hmm. sort of some of the superficial stuff about Battlestar. i didn't care about as much um and it had some of the dark parts of blade runner but without the the, the i don't know the classiness for lack of a better word yeah um and uh it just seemed to be in bad humor and sort of the wider uh, ver- uh, understanding of humor um a bad taste if you will um, and it was just dark as a dark color palette and it remains that, but there's a lot of reasons why I got into it. And then I saw like the full two and a half minute preview for season two on YouTube, like a month or two ago without even realizing what it was for. I didn't know it was sci-fi. I didn't know it was the expanse because it was just like so epic. I'm like, Oh my God, what's the show? I got to watch it. It's like the expanse season two. I was like, all right, I got to give the show another shot. I'm glad I did. I really liked it. I watched it in a single sitting man, which for a double episode for me is, is a big accomplishment. So you can jump in here anywhere you want your personal journey with the show where you see it now um so i i I leave it to you maddie g yeah so 
The Expanse, I definitely read a couple of stories about and knew it was coming. I think actually Grantland wrote a story about it, about the opinion that I quickly came to share that sci-fi seemed to be staking more on this particular series than a lot of the other ones it was coming up with, like 12 Monkeys or Dark Matter or Defiance or Helix um, or even The Magicians, which I think debuted the same year The Expanse did. Um, The premise sounded interesting enough. I was already watching something on sci-fi the night the pilot debuted, and so I just stuck around to watch the extra hour. Um, I thought it was okay. You know, I thought it was mildly entertaining enough to be worth pursuing for a while. And then it got a lot stronger as the show went on. Um, I agree with you. The first season especially felt very cold. There was so much backstory and plot that was just being delivered in these exposition dumps that they kind of had to do, but were not all that interesting. Um, You know, I didn't love a lot of the characters. I still don't. Um, Just the ones that I do like, they seem to have made even more awesome. Uh, But, you know, the plot's gotten more and more interesting, and some of the side characters were pretty cool. And so by the end, I was like, okay, sure, I'll come back for a second season. And I think they dumped a lot more money and a lot more attention into it, and it definitely took the show to a new level. Yeah, I I almost don't know where to start tackling this from because a lot of the things I didn't like, I don't necessarily love now, but have been somewhat neutralized. I guess let's start with the characters. Um, There's one character in particular that we're going to talk about that's amazing, uh, which isn't surprising because, you know, she's a storied actress who's been around a long time, done a lot of interesting roles. We will get to her. But in terms of the main crew, there's no one that I don't think either of us really love, but there's no one that I find like horribly offensive, honestly. And the more I watch them... It's almost like when you watch a war movie, you know, some war movies and the personalities aren't that distinguishable, but that's kind of part of the point. Right. I I don't know if that's something they're going for intentionally, but, you know, they're doing what I always say when you're not great actors or have great material, which is underact slightly and get really intense during the the moments that that cause intensity, if that makes sense. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. There were no characters that like, pissed me off that made me really angry, but I just found most of them to be kind of bland and boring, which Mm -hmm. is a problem that I have had with a lot of sci-fi shows, not Battlestar, but a lot of the lesser series. My biggest issue is that these people seem indistinguishable from each other. The actors are just, they're not big names and you can kind of tell why. And the writing is never so sterling that they really get to emote real well. So they all have this kind of, blank faced you know blandness to them um and i this show definitely suffers from some of that same stuff um it just gets around it with a couple of characters that are much more dynamic and are able to carry it um problem is they're not the main characters right i mean the blank face thing you can clearly see with steven Strait as as james holden yeah um who looks really weirdly like a young Paul Blackthorn, doesn't he? He really reminds me of Blackthorn, his face. A little um, bit. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Paul Blackthorn, Blackthorn being Captain Lance Captain in Lance. Uh, Arrow, by the way. And actually, Thomas Jane is a way, way, way cooler character uh, as Joe Miller. It's sort of, it's sort of a futuristic Captain Lance in some ways, I think. Uh, 
uh, is I, I also uh, made that connection in my own brain. Um, but but there is something kind of meditative about it, you know. I mean, Vikings has this thing too, where there's certain characters you know are never going to hit three dimensional territory, but they are they're always looking the right way. You know, they right. under they underact when they need to underact. They they dial up the intensity when, when they need to dial up the intensity. They don't have great chemistry with anyone, but it's not completely vacuous either. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be exposed after more time, but after watching, you know, six, seven total episodes at this point, if you count this one as a double episode, I'm, I'm actually okay with him. And you just have to keep surrounding him. I mean, you know, let's be honest early on in Battlestar. I mean, Apollo didn't seem like the greatest character at times, you know, um, even though he was like the third build lead or the fourth build leader, whatever you want to say. Now, over time, Apollo became a very, very complicated and interesting character, and Jamie Bamber is a great actor. Um, I don't think that's going to happen with Steven Strait. Um, I do think Dominique Tipper as as Naomi could, I sense, maybe I saw some interviews with her. She's very personable and charismatic mm-hmm. in real life. So I, I think this is also a case of us, you know, let's not, uh, let's not let the, the writers off the hook if, if if maybe they need to unleash these characters a little bit. Yeah, I would probably agree with that to some extent, but at the same time, in this episode, for instance, we had Cass Anvar as Alex Kamal speaking in a number of different settings that his character was clearly reacting to with different sets of emotions, but he delivered all of the lines the exact same way. And some of that, I think, is on him for a, if not flat affect, then a one-dimensional affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Amos reacts to every situation the same way. Yep. With Miller, it makes more sense. His character actually, speaking of Blade Runner, reminds me very yes. much of Harrison Ford's character. The, I don't think that's an accident. I could be wrong. Well, I doubt it. I mean, the look of the two properties are fairly similar. And, you know, the grizzled sci-fi detective, I mean... Bruce Willis was Harrison Ford's character just in the fifth element, just jacked up and, you know, a soldier also. But the the idea of the guy beaten down by this bizarre science fiction setting, that's not new. Um, And I'm fine with copying from one of the best. But it makes sense why he's got this flat, everything is pointless and and stupid uh, attitude. It doesn't quite make as much sense why all these young idealistic people are, are just as kind of one note. Well, I, I I think they're scared. It's a, it's a dark, scary, you know, future scenario. Um, yes. But you could just say that about Battlestar, you know. But w- with Battlestar, th- they cast so many big personalities and let those people just be themselves. Right. And you know, when I'm watching these shows, man, it, it's easy to look at you know Katie Sackhoff or Jamie Bamber, um, or even um, you know Hilo. Um, uh, Tom O'Panicket, you know, uh, and, and say, well, why don't you have these kind of actors or, you know, these kind of characters? But the characters I- I'm always looking for are the second and third tier ones that nevertheless fill out the universe. And I always look at Kat from Battlestar, who's one of my favorite right. characters. They really? brought her on to be literally a one to, to die after an episode or two. Yeah, she's in two total episodes, and you knew she was no, going to die. No, she's not. Cat no cats cat makes it all the way to season three and has a whole episode at the end of season three where she dies saving the fleet and, and from she, scar or whatever right the 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 Cylon ship that's got weird disfiguring yeah, for- yeah you you haven't seen it in a while you've only seen it once she actually becomes like the major antagonist on the ship to 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 um 
to Katie Sackhoff as Starbuck, and they, they have this real love-hate relationship. Yeah, Scar's the episode that really brings that out, but she had already been established. She wasn't supposed to be on that point. She w- When they get stuck on New Caprica, she's still um, uh, a pilot, and she gets made CAG, actually, in the rescue effort, and New right. Caprica at the beginning of season three, and then she has a whole episode where they're going through a radiation storm where she dies uh, piloting the ships through uh, this radiation storm at the end of season three, right. and she gets made CAG, and uh, Adama, you know, t- t- does has this storytelling thing with her as she's dying in bed that just gives you chills and cry and i'm just saying like those characters they had no idea you know her and racetrack and like all those characters were going to be around for so long and contribute so much and add so much flavor but it also takes pressure off of the other actors because there's no way ron moore when when he cast you know cat um uh, uh, Luciana, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Pharaoh in uh, season one that they were going to make a whole episode about her. That was actually kind of key to the plot two and a half seasons later. They got a little lucky with that and with some of the other characters. So you have to be able to take pressure off of them, but, but also the main characters have to prove themselves before you get to that point. And I think we still need the main characters to prove themselves. Um, thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my thought on Kat is that her death episode, I saw the second the episode started, I was like, oh, they're going to kill this one because they're finally giving her a backstory. Um, but and sh- I never really liked her, to be honest. But I, I think maybe you have no soul, to- sir. I don't know if that's a quote or if you're just insulting <laughs> No, I'm me, insulting you for having no soul. Whatever. Yeah. Kat was lame and she was only actually in like five or six episodes. Whatever. I My opinion is that uh, this show has not so far proven that it has all of that. Um, you know, that it has those kind of background characters. All of the really interesting characters are the main cast. And my problem is there's really only like three and a half of them. I think it's very enjoyable, mostly because I find the plot intriguing. I like the political inter- intrigue of it all. Um, I like the horror elements of this proto-molecule that is transforming people into space zombies, for lack of a better word. Um, but I'm just not sure, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that there is a lot beyond them to really keep the show going. Um, but this first episode which i've mostly crapped on which is not fair i really did enjoy i thought it was really really uh, interesting i thought it was visually a lot stronger looking um i like that they are kind of ramping up the stakes from the previous season in a way that makes sense not just like forced but I mean, uh, but no, but look, uh, fine. You you may or may not like some of the same side characters I do from Battlestorm. My bigger point is they had they had an embarrassment of riches in terms of characters who had distinctive personalities from one another. Here we still have a lot of characters who kind of act and talk the same, um, and and they're gonna have to get they're gonna have to get out from that. And what makes it work with with uh, Stephen Strait as Holden for me is is his voice. He sounds like someone who's been a career voice actor. He's got a really interesting voice. Stephen Amell's the same way. If Stephen and Amel didn't have such a cool voice. I, I'm not sure I would stick with them as much, but there's something very like meditative about Stephen Amel's voice. I'm not putting Holden on the same level at all, but it does sort of remind me of like, okay, you know, he's a little unemotive in his face. So if you focus on his voice, um, you know, and, and actors have different things and the best actors have all the different characteristics. But speaking of voice, let's get to one of the best parts of the show and uh, I'll let you introduce it. Yeah, best part of the show is a woman whose first name is Show Shorag Dashlu as Captain Christian Avasarala, the UN Assistant Undersecretary. 
is a fucking badass. She is this politician who is so cool and so like cutthroat. I mean, the closest character I could think of is Amanda Waller from Suicide Squad, which I only know because I know the comics and I know who Amanda Waller is and she's in Arrow and whatnot. I'm not talking about the shitty movie, but in terms of kind of really doesn't fuck around with anybody, will break any law she thinks will help her serve the greatest good, unflinching morals. I mean, that is Chris Jen's character completely. She is really, really awesome to watch and she will not take shit from any dude who thinks he knows more than her because she's non-military and a woman. She will shut that shit down instantly. Yeah, but unlike Amanda Waller, who, by the way, was amazing in Arrow before they sadly killed her. That wouldn't have been the character I would have killed. Spoiler alert. Uh, although I think part of the re- reason is uh, Cynthia Die Robinson, who played Amanda Waller, is getting a lot of movie roles now. And she was excellent in The Accountant and other stuff. Um, th- this is way more subtle, though, because this is like backstab diplomacy that's going on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this this will be a good transition, man. So for fans who are just catching up or, or who, like me, have seen some or maybe even all of it are still kind of confused, what? what's her so she's she's an earth person obviously you know she's like a like a powerful future un ambassador kind of politician what's her game i mean do you have a sense of like what her game is at this point my hunt she understands that there is something going on here that most of her superiors and the people who work under her are unaware of she senses that this attack on holden's ship the canterbury that starts this whole show wasn't what it was initially portrayed as which was that it was a martian attack or that it was an attack by the opa which is the outer planetary alliance a sort of what was initially a terrorist organization that now sort of wants political legitimacy to speak for the people who live out on the asteroid belts who are known as belters um you know when then a martian ship the donager gets blowed up blown up i think two episodes later in season one, something like that. She senses again that something is going on. And so she feels like she is completely alone or just about completely alone in the higher levels of UN authority. And that somebody is trying to con the UN into doing something. And she's the only one who can see that somebody else is, is fucking with them and that that's who they really need to suss out and ultimately stop. So we've got at least three parties here. We've got the Earth people, uh, actually four parties. We've got the Earth people, we've got the Mars people, we've got the Belters, and then we've maybe got this OPA terrorist group, which stands for what? I can't remember. Outer Planetary Alliance. Outer Planetary Alliance. So or Outer a- Planets Alliance. So if it's an alliance, shouldn't they like know if it's a thing or not? You know, I mean, that's to be an alliance is like kind of an an, an official thing. Um, do, uh, have we seen again because I, I haven't seen all season one has there been like out and out like o, uh, OPA people that we know for sure are OPA people well Fred Johnson um, the the guy who's running uh, series station um, is straight up OPA although he was an earth soldier first and then he kind of defected after uh, being involved in basically getting conned into uh, blowing up a, a ship of innocent belters, for lack of a better uh, way to describe what happened to him. Um, so he's trying to be the legitimate face of the OPA as a political party or a political alliance, as opposed to a 
an alliance of terrorist cells. And as we saw in episode one of season two, there are still those as well. You know, Christian's ship gets attacked via drone by an OPA uh, cell, basically a, a, a paramilitary cell, whatever you want to call it. And when Fred Johnson meets this guy, he says, yeah, the way we get them to take us seriously is we keep killing their higher ups on Mars and Earth until finally they see our strength. And Fred's like, well, that's not going to work. So he throws this guy out of an airlock. Um, so he's brutal too, but you know, he's not that bad. Um, so, so here, here's what I think the series has working against it that it really has to establish early on in season two, which is right. what was great about Battlestar is that you knew in the beginning exactly who the good guys were and exactly who the bad guys were. Now, you knew there were some sleeper Cylons, but right. in terms of sides, it was clear. Now, over the series, they complicate that greatly, obviously. That becomes sort of you know, part of the point of the series. And some of the things that work great and some of the things that don't work great as the series goes along have to do with complicating the two sides. But at least in the beginning, you kind of knew where, where you stood. And uh, Jamie Bamber actually uh, was quoted very honestly as saying, he was asked uh, towards the end of the series or after the series, uh, he played uh, Leah Dama, Apollo. Um, if you could have changed one thing about the series, what would it have been? And you expect some sort of small to like medium sized thing. And he says, I would have never stopped having the Cylons be like the boogeyman, essentially. Like, right. Never gone to their side and gone on a Cylon ship and, you know, seen them. Um, which would have really limited narrative possibilities, but I can totally see on rewatches where he's coming from because the first two and a half seasons before we start really meeting the Cylons are, are clearly better than what comes after that. Um, I, I think there are other reasons. Point being, we're thrust into this universe where we don't necessarily sympathize with anybody. We don't know who's on what side and, and, and what's going on. That can be really interesting, but if, if they want us to have empathy and sympathy for these characters going forward, at some point... You know, don't need set good guys and bad guys but you need to kind of know where mo people's motivations lie a little bit more i think yeah i think that needs to definitely come out in the coming season what i would also say is one of the big differences between these two shows and we are comparing them a lot and i think that's fair because this is i've said the best show on sci-fi and it's the closest thing they've had to the next Battlestar, which they've obviously wanted ever since Battlestar ended over 10 years ago now, I think. Um, the difference, though, is... So, both shows have these really rich backstories, but Battlestar Galactica begins with all of that backstory getting wiped out. And there is actually very, very little in which they go talk about, you know, what life was like before the first Cylon attack vaporizes everything. It's very much the sense of, okay, we were this society, but that's all gone we're not going to deal with that because it's too hard for us psychologically to I, accept this idea of our entire way of life is gone. So we're just going to push forward and create a new way of life. Um, you know, the religion of the multiple gods comes back when even in the little bits and pieces we see of the past, you can kind of get the sense that they've more or less moved away from that and have become a pretty agnostic society. Um, Caprica, the show, which wasn't very good, though, talks a lot about that. That's an excellent point. I'm sorry, I want to jump in, man. That's an excellent point about th they're starting fresh. And actually, if you watch, yeah. if you watch the Battlestar Galactica miniseries closely, but especially if you watch the whole series and then rewatch the miniseries, mm -hmm. the characters you see at the beginning of the miniseries 
are completely different from the ones at the end of the miniseries and on forward. Like Duala, for example, like D, right. who we see as like so like quiet and sensitive and you know and vulnerable. She's actually kind of like confident and bitchy at the beginning of uh, of you know before all this goes down. You know before they know that they think that the universe is ending or know that the universe is ending, and it really cha- it changes everybody so much. You know, Leah's right. like a whiny little you know Anakin Skywalker style asshole almost at the beginning. You know. And he, he gets humbled and his dad gets humbled and it's great for character building because we're right there with them and that's part of why they wanted to start the show like uh, on the run just as you said but then when you get those moments like when when Kara um goes uh uh starbuck goes back to get the arrow from caprica and she rescues hilo and and they need a place to crash and they find her apartment and there's that great scene where she just like they go in her apartment she puts on the flight jacket she finds a cigar they lay back on the couch for five minutes she puts on her dad's piano music Music, and they're just all her artwork all around and like that's one of my favorite scenes on television ever because you earned it by that point this, sure. we haven't we haven't earned that yet with these characters and and i totally think we could um but that's going to be up to, to the writing stuff and it's going to be up to the actors to uh uh to, to pull it off i didn't mean to interrupt you there buddy that was that, i just want to highlight that was a really good point well the contrast is there's this really rich backstory with the expanse but they keep talking about it in these long chunks of exposition that Battlestar was really, really, really good at avoiding. Instead, when they do occasionally hint at it, like in the scene you just described, they show this sense of a lost world instead of having people just talking about, oh, life on Caprica was so blah, 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 blah. Already in season two, in this one episode, we have these Martians that we don't care about because we've never met them before waxing about what they've had to give up for this cold war with earth but nobody cares um so it's what makes i think the expanse a little harder to get into is because there is so much that happens before the show starts that is still influencing events whereas battlestar was very smart in that it cut off everything it basically excised everything that happened before the cylon attack in the cylon attack and after that it's New life, new society, new everything, move forward. Whereas but The Expanse is really grounded in the past. And the challenge for this show that they sometimes achieve and sometimes struggle with is how do you bring in all of that past stuff without bog- bogging down the narrative? And my guess is James Corey doesn't have to worry about that so much in his books because he has more pages and books allow for that kind of exposition a little more easily. Yeah, and uh, that is a great segue into um, uh, something that we talked about leading up to to recording, um, having to do with the language, but just in general, it's like there are a lot of moments in the show where something happens, where someone takes like a pill or something, and you're like, oh my god, I bet that had like 20 pages of exposition in the book, and now they're trying to make it happen on screen, and I totally sympathize, you know, with with the the writers in trying to make this happen, and be loyal to the material and flesh out this universe, Um, but as I've, you know, as I've told you, and if you do read or listen to the audiobook for this, I will warn you that you know modern space opera is five six seven eight nine hundred pages per book and there's a lot a lot of description and exposition 
So, it, it, but but in some ways it goes down easier when you're reading. You know, you you, you just sort of fall into it as a storytelling thing. But like for example, the fact that we have all these different people who talk all these different ways, and it's never really clear why that is. Like, how come none of the main characters talk that way? But you know, like only right. like these weird side characters talking this 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 uh, Creole. Uh, or pigeon uh, that they're speaking or whatever was one thing we talked about before. You know, these little, these little, uh, you know, ornamentations of science fiction. I'm not saying they stay away from it, but, but, but Battlestar and even Star Wars by being set in the past in a different universe essentially gets, gets around having to do this and not having to come from, uh, you know, giant science fiction book source material. Right. Um, I wasn't. I'm not quite sure where to go with that. Um, well, no, just because uh, we were talking about the language in particular, right? Like it seems, yeah. it seems obvious that that James Corey, you know, uh, is trying to do some language stuff, you know, in, in the book that they're trying to bring on screen. It never comes off as particularly racist, usually because they've no. just mixed up people's colors and 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 backgrounds so much. Um, it, it is an interesting device. It sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Um, I don't know if you had had any thoughts on that. Yeah, for the most part, the 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 Belter Creole. I don't I don't know if the language actually has an official name, but I mean we can think of it as such. Uh, works for me because uh, there are people of color who are Belters, and there are white people who are Belters. Um, you know, this idea. One of the central premises of this show is that these people who have to live in space at all times. And so physically their bodies are very, very different than, uh, people born on Mars or earth. They are, they don't, their bones don't know how to deal with gravity. So when they go to a planet, it's painful for them just to be on a planet and be exposed to a planetary gravitational force. Um, it's extremely painful. Actually, their bones are frailer. Their bodies are taller and thinner. Cause I guess that's what would happen if you grew up in, uh, if you grew up without gravity, I guess, cause yeah. gravity kind of pulls your whole body down a little oh, bit. This is what I wanted you. to say, man. Um, this is, ex- sorry. I've been thinking all week about the, we were, we were talking about Supergirl with the, with the, right. uh, the red sun. It makes total sense because the red sun gives off so little light that if they're able to live off of a red sun, that when they get to a yellow sun, which is giving off thousands and thousands of times more light and they're solar powered, it would make total sense as that's what would power them. And from a gravitational standpoint, that's totally what's going on with the Martians. And yeah, that's I also why... Sorry. Go no, ahead. I was going to say that's also why Mars is a desirable location to retire to if if you are an Earthling. Um, you know, I mean, it, we know that that cancer, for example, probably spreads a lot slower in zero G or low G environments, and and uh, has a weird transition. You know, sadly, we lose yet another great actor in uh, John Hurt recently. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, but he had an amazing role as like a. Um, uh, as he had many amazing roles. He had many, many amazing roles, but but in relation to this, in, in contact in the mid '90s with Jodie Foster, playing like a um um uh oh, who's the Tesla guy? I'm blanking on his name right now. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah, but he was, but he's like an older, wiser, yeah, more established Elon Musk. And S. R. Haddon or something. S. R. Like Haddon, that, right? And he, who was in the book version? Uh, which, by the way, if you, if you haven't read Carl Sagan, you're in to anything we're talking about. Please read Cosmos and the novelization of Contact, or what was based on the novel Contact. But he ends up going to space when he gets cancer because mm-hmm. it, I really remember that making an impression on me growing up. I never considered that. You know, he was rich enough sure. to launch himself into space 
place and extend his life. And he did ultimately die, spoiler alert, but it extended his life. And so, you know, being an earthling coming to Mars, you have a lot of advantages. And so as Martians, you would think they'd be very insecure trying to defend themselves against earthlings who are used to uh, more intense gravity. Yeah. And as I understand it, some of the, uh, resentment that the Martians feel towards the earthers is that earth for a long time kind of exerted this. We gave you all of these resources to get started. We still have ownership over you. You come from us, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Martians were like, well, our own planet has some advantages that yours doesn't and you're not respecting any of that. So fuck you. You know, there's a lot of racism between them, but even that is different than these belters who have in really different bodies. Martian gravity is less than Earth's, but it's still something. Whereas if you grew up on a space station in the asteroid belt, there would be there's no gravity. You know, it's all it's very, very mild, generated by either the satellite spins fast enough to create centripetal force, or maybe there's some kind of artificial generator. But, you know, Martians and humans have and Earthers have the same basic physiology, whereas Belters are usually about a foot taller and they look they look like the best thing i could think of is the sort of that avatar body from yeah. avatar that yeah. you know taller narrower another planet that has very low gravity uh body type and that they can't be on planets whereas an, a martian could live on earth and vice versa without any real issue um so the belters want legitimacy they want to be recognized and have control over their own lives because literally they can't live anywhere else. And another example of the ways in which they've diverged from Mars and Earth is that they have this weird language of their own with, uh, you know, where they call water aqua. And, you know, it's a little, you know, they have a bunch of words they insert of their own. They have also, it's not as clear in the, in the, movie in the show but i think the books deal with this more half of their speech is actually sign based it's hand based and gesture based so they really have an entirely new form of communication uh when they talk to each other mm. um yeah yeah uh, and that's exactly what would happen in a planet like that over time and, and the same way in planets with very high gravity you know 1.5 or 2 g's people would be very right. short and stocky they'd be like dwarves from lord of the rings or something you know i mean it would have the exact reverse effect um and just a credit to the show and i have just like one or two quick compliments and then you can close it up and we'll move on uh, you know they ha they're dealing with things like zero g which didn't really happen in battlestar much i mean you know things would get blowed up and people would fly out of the airlock and stuff like that. But they right. never lost, you know, artificial gravity. They were never dealing with people growing up on diff different types of, you know, gravitational bodies and stuff like that. That's very hard to do and very expensive, uh, which will lead me into just complimenting that the first season looks very good. The second season looks great just from production values wise, the space, oh, yeah. the space battle, which I'm still not sure exactly the mechanics of what was going on where they were spinning around on purpose and shooting guns looked really, really good. I'm glad they're sticking yeah. to the uh, Battlestar just shooting big guns uh, at, at one another. I just saw the episode in season one where they're 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 getting attacked and, and, and a round mm -hmm. comes in and knocks the guy's head off. Yep. <laughs> knocks the guy's head off and before you even realize what's going on. Um, it's just sticking to live ammunition is great and uh, you know I, I'll just say that 
that w- what made Battlestar remain great for a while was that they never really made the plot way more complicated. They made the the moral and ethical and human situations more complicated. Right. That, that I think, is the challenge for this show, in addition to developing the characters. If they keep just making the plot more, more complex um, and more... Um, uh, you know what I mean? Just like, just mud- muddied or muddled. Um, it's going to collapse. It's going to collapse under its own weight, don't you think? And that's what's happened on a bunch of other sci-fi shows. Defiance collapsed because it just threw too many plot twists into what was otherwise a decent setting. Helix collapsed because the plot got too crazy. You know, it started with viruses and then it involved immortals and then trying to control the human population. It, it just got nuts. And then 12 Monkeys has thrown way too many plot twists in it to be at all coherent anymore as to what the hell is happening. Um, so, yeah, that is definitely the challenge for The Expanse is how to keep the plot stripped down enough to keep people from kind of throwing up their hands and saying, what the hell is going on? And so on that note, to transition to the CW shows, um, we are going to start with Supergirl. I was just going to say, uh, uh, Matt, I'm still only a few episodes into the Bizzle Supergirl experiment, and I'm loving it so far for the most part, but this is a show that really does not have to rely on plot whatsoever, which doesn't mean it doesn't have it, and that's not good, but the character stuff is so great, and the writing is so spot on for the most part that they don't need to rely on like crazy plot twists to make it happen. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, you know, these characters, uh, I t- tune in each week to see them talk to each other and relate to each other and express emotion to each other. The alien stuff is cool. You know, seeing Supergirl fly around and punch people is cool. Um, but, you know, you can get that in every superhero show. And it's watching these characters kind of experience their lives. That's what to me makes supergirl so much fun yeah i mean supergirl feels like all the best parts of a soap opera without any of the bad stuff it's just like watching people's lives unfold and there happen to be superpowers involved (laughs) you're speechless so walk us yeah so walk us through uh this week's episode because uh, i loved last week when we were on um the uh the red sun planet this was a big uh semi-romance week i haven't really been watching enough i mean they're telegraphing pretty strongly that this is going to happen i think it's interesting that they're gonna try and set her up long term with another uh you know superhuman as opposed to a human uh which is which would for me in some ways be more interesting so my question to you in addition to talking about this week and what your favorite moment of supergirl is is do you like Monel? Do you like that they're trying to put those two together? Does that make sense to you? Is that what they should be doing? I like Monel for the most part. I definitely like that he's in the show just because that is kind of a deep reference of a DC character um, that we talked about last week, the character Valor or Largand. What I am a little nervous about is that so in the last episode, there's a moment where the Dominator Dominator's seem to bow to him almost. And so there's clearly more to him going on than he has told her. What I really hope though, is it does not turn out that he is duplicitous or traitorous or evil. (laughs) Like ward (laughs) and shield. Yeah. Because this whole character was introduced. And when Supergirl meets him, 
she's basically racist towards him. She says all Daxamites are scum. They're pirates. They're robbers. They're thieves. They're awful. They're lowlifes. I mean, she's really nasty towards them. And he says, I don't even want to talk to you because you have such a preformed opinion of who I am that what's the point? And then she recognizes that flaw in herself and works on it and, and improves at it and becomes friends and probably more than friends in the coming episodes with Monel. But if it turns out he's using her, he's a bad guy in the end, it's just going to ultimately confirm all of her racist preconceptions. Although there is an element, I think. I, I could be wrong, but the show is very conscious when it comes to gender roles and things like this, that this could totally be a metaphor for the sweet girl falling for the bad guy being like i can change him i can save him i can make him better you know and that backfiring almost all the time well there is definitely the he's from the wrong side of town kind right. of motif and supergirl does want to change him but that's because she is incredibly idealistic and believes anybody who has the potential to be a hero especially somebody who comes from almost exactly the same situation that she comes from, has the potential to to do what she does. But Jimmy uh, is right in this episode. Jimmy's right that she's wrong to trust this guy over them, I think. I agree. Um, you know, that is the side plot of this episode is finally Supergirl finds out that Jimmy is, is the Guardian. I said last week that I haven't been crazy about this whole Jimmy Olsen as the Guardian plot. I remain not particularly interested in it. My hunch actually is that this season is McCod Brooks leaving the show and Jimmy just saying, I've done everything I can do here. It's time for me to go back to Metropolis, which is where they're in the comics, by the way, the guardian is based out of not national city, which isn't a, a city in the comics, but guardian is a Metropolis hero who's friends with Superman. And the reason I say that is he has had a, McCod Brooks has had a very small presence in season two. Honestly, there's no episode I can think of where if you cut out what he does, it hurts the show. Like almost every single scene with him is superfluous. And that's a bad place to be because no other character on the show, you could say that Supergirl would be worse without the side plot with Alex. It would be worse without the side plots with John Jones and McGann Moores. It, be worse without the Monel plot. And it would even be worse without Jeremy Jordan as Wynn and what he's kind of going through becoming a, an IT agent for uh, the DEO. It would even be worse without Snapper Card, the, the, her car's editor. But nothing would be lost if they cut every single scene with Jimmy Olsen out of season two. I mean, the bigger problem for me is if you watch all three sub, uh, CW, I'm sorry, there's four. If you, I, I can't speak for Legends. But if you watch Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl, there's this constant argument, series after series, season after season, of who should be a superhero, who shouldn't right. be, do I deserve to be one, can I be one, am I strong enough to be one, what's it mean to be one, I think you should, I don't think you should. And I get these arguments come from the comic books. I grew up reading comic books too, you know? Right. But it, it, it especially when you're dealing with fucking Supergirl, like, just get out of the way you know like it doesn't make sense having her sister and having the it guy and stuff that makes sense
sense, like supplementary, you know, help, you know, whatever. Right. But but another like minor superhero just throwing himself into battle. I think they're gonna kill him. Honestly, I mean that would be that would make the most sense for everyone. It would be the best exit for the character. It'd be the best exit for the actor. Best right, best way to move the show forward. I could be wrong. Again, I'm new to this. Yeah, I mean, they killed Jimmy Olsen in Batman v Superman, so it, it can be done. And, you know, that movie was so good and such an honest representation of the characters. I mean, really, what better superhero movie has there been besides Batman v Superman, except for, like, literally all of them? She'd, she'd, he'd, he'd Laurel die. Yeah, I think they could do the much more humane thing and just send him back to Metropolis and just say, yeah, yeah. my place isn't here, you don't support me, so I'm going to leave. And that's... They don't have to kill him, but they can get him off the show, and I think that's what they ultimately should do. Because I am not a fan of killing really, really important characters in comic in the comic book narratives, and Jimmy Olsen is one of the six most important in Superman. Um, I mean, yeah, to now, severely, severely wound him in in the line of battle, and have he him realize that he's not doing what he should do, and he needs to go somewhere else or whatever. Right, that, that would be or the good. Or he could just go now. to another city. I mean, it's a whole country. He could go anywhere. You know. Well, that's my other question. If Clark Kent, I mean, do they do they really need man? I guess we do need Superman and Supergirl in our world right now. I was going to say it seems redundant, but maybe you do need two of them in this day and age. Well, they can't be in two places at once. Um, That's true. And there is sort of a sense that each of them is the maid protector of their city, you know. Um, and in the two-parter to start Supergirl this season where Superman shows up, they have to fight two Metallos, basically. So the idea that there would be more than one metahuman villain at the same time is not really all that hard to, to accept. So the idea that you might need more than one super person, that I'm okay with. Uh, how cool would it be if we had a real legit Superman though that could be in the movies and the TV shows, and she could guest in the movies? I know it's never going to happen, but she could totally she could totally carry her weight in a supporting role in a movie as Supergirl. I think. Well, I I have said. I mean, uh, we were going back and forth about Twitter about this that Ben Affleck has already pulled out of directing the the DC Extended Universe Batman movie. There's some indication maybe that he may just get out completely well, no, no, after no, no. Matt, Justice League. Matt, say say I think, because I want this on the record for you to get credit later on, so just put it on the record. Okay, so what I think they ought to do is just start making movies with this CW cast. They can't possibly be worse than what Zack Snyder has done with Cable and Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. And, well, we still don't know if Gal Gadot is any good or not because she's had literally five minutes of screen time so far. It's going to be good. Um, it's not March, what? by the way. It's the summer. Yeah, yeah, this summer. I think oh, it's going to be awful. Well, Wonder Woman, really? no, that's that's March. No, it's Justice not. Lee, really? No, it's not. It's July. It's June or July. Look it up. That it's been moved because there were posters I were I was looking at saying uh, they're scared. March. They're scared. They're scared. I think they're maybe trying to save. Uh, yeah, got moved I, June, but I'm pretty sure it was March for a long time. I think they thought they were they they were gonna have to go. I, I know this sounds crazy, and I'm not saying the movie's gonna be good. I'm actually dreading it, but I think they thought they could lose to Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell in that same time frame. I think Justice League is taking longer to film than they thought, and they wanted push. They want to make their big summer blockbuster. Uh, excuse me uh, for slurring all that. Um, something <laughs> because they don't want to miss that one. Because if you don't have there's not a lot of evidence that a movie that comes out in March, a big movie like this can make as much money as a big movie like this can make in the summertime. That that's 
the golden couple of months for big special effects sci-fi blockbusters. If you're if you're Star Trek Beyond, you make nothing in the summer, and if you're Guardians of the Galaxy, you almost make a billion dollars. So who knows? Right. Sure. Uh, but Star Trek Beyond was marketed horribly, and DC knows how to market its stuff, even if it doesn't know how to make good superhero yeah. movies. I, I think the bigger miracle, man, that we've never discussed is that Suicide Squad. W- almost caught Batman v Superman with everything against it. Not only did it was it following Batman v Superman, which was panned roundly, including by people who saw it. I mean, the user scores for that movie are horrible, right? Oh, and yet, and yet, without Bat, essentially without Batman, definitely without Superman and Wonder Woman, and a cast we'd never seen before, uh, somehow Suicide Squad beat. Uh, you know, movies like Star Trek Beyond and, and almost caught Batman v Superman. So I don't know if DC knows what they're doing, but I also think DC knows that America doesn't know what it's doing. And so yes. it, it's willing yeah, to just make it. crazy, you know, decisions here. I mean, they keep talking about like they cast Nicole Kidman for Aquaman. I'm like, are you kidding me? Give me a fucking break. You haven't established any credibility. Sorry. Right. No, I mean, I think justice league is taking longer to film than anybody thought. And so they're pushing it back. Uh, Maybe Wonder Woman was always going to be a summer thing. I could have sworn it was supposed to come out in the spring initially. I, I don't know. I think there are more fans of superhero content than there are Star Trek fans right now, um, or at oh, least yeah. the kind of casual fans who would go watch a movie about either of them, and that's why Suicide Squad did better, and it was marketed better. Um, that's true. So um, I'm not sure how we got off on the topic of this, but yeah, these CW We're talking about the, the CW kids, movie, yeah. Right. No, what I wanted you to get on record was saying that you think Ben Affleck's not going to even appear in that movie, let alone direct in it, which I think is a great prediction. Well, I, I think there's a the headline I saw is that he may be out. He's out as director and may ultimately be out on the solo film itself, too. I mean, he's not done with being Batman because he's still filming Justice League right now. And I think I mean, I'm sure they'll just go into post-production right after that on Justice League 2 if they don't scrap the whole damn thing. So it's not like Ben Affleck has walked away, but the fact that he is walking back his commitment to these projects already suggests to me that he is starting to get come around to the idea that these really are bad. These are not worth his energy, um, especially if they're going to make an accountant sequel, which I have no idea if, yeah. if they've announced, but considering they've made oh, they two are. John... They oh, will. they are. Uh, okay. I mean, they haven't announced it, but it's. I can't believe they won't. They're making. They did they so well with that movie. John Wick two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, making yeah. Equalizer two. They've these, made three Takens. And these these mid budget, uh, really well done, violent rated R adult movies. They can turn around in like eighteen months or something like that. Yeah, they don't seem like they're very hard to write and produce, and they can be made cheap, and so they don't have to make quite as much. So I'd imagine the accountant. He'll be making the accountant two within a year. And just really quick, and then we'll get back to the CW stuff. Actually, Wonder Woman's pushed up. It was originally scheduled for June 23rd, and they move it up to June 2nd, which I think is really smart uh, because it's going to be coming out like exactly four weeks after Guardians comes out. So it'll be it'll be the next movie after Guardians. Yep. All right, so cool. There you go. But yes, back to the whole back to Supergirl. Melissa Benoist could definitely handle a movie role. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that whole cast could. I mean. We'll have to see, can Ezra Miller do the job as The Flash? It doesn't seem like he can from the little bits of it we've seen, but Grant Gustin knows how to be Barry Allen, so why not just, you know, they did a four-part crossover that was basically three hours of total television with all these characters, and it was some of the best superhero stuff we've gotten on TV 
since this whole genre was created. Uh, so dude, let's let's not get it twisted. The two best action scenes, uh, and and that you know three part uh, uh, trilogy. Essentially, of trilogy. Jones, by the way, sorry. Yeah. Um. The, but the but the major scenes in the CW crossover in Flash and then Legends were way more thrilling. I'm not saying better in terms of money, but like were way more thrilling than anything in Batman v Superman. And I thought Arrow was really good. I, I, I know it didn't quite grab you, but I, I thought it was a really well done bit of TV. I thought it, it did good as both on a hundred. I just uh, want Laurel episodes. to go away. I want Laurel yeah, to go she's away. She's gone. There's a new Dinah. There's a new Black Canary. It's not a doppelganger. I, it's, oh it everything's We're done with Katie Cassidy for the <laughs> most part. I think it's fine. Um, get over Katie Cassidy. She's off the uh, show now. <laughs> I don't even hate her. I just hate the character. Yeah. Well. So okay. So Supergirl, um, great as always. Um, do, did you want to talk about Flash and Arrow? I, I will admit, people, I did see Supergirl. Uh, weirdly, I saw Supergirl, but not Flash or Arrow. That's never happened before. So I do know what Arrow is uh, about. Uh, I don't know if you talked about either of those or even Legends, which we haven't really talked much about. Sure. So I, the only thing I'm going to mention in Supergirl, why I love Supergirl, is there is a line early on where she and Monel are training, and this is the exact quote is what is our number one rule as heroes protect the people are we clear about the whole protect citizens above all else thing (laughs) this is what i think this dceu has completely gotten wrong about why people like superheroes is superheroes are fun to watch when they're saving people when they're just punching each other it's boring and so that connection to the pop to the public that's what's fun that's what's relatable that's what makes these characters inspirational um and so i like even when it's you know very obvious uh you know on the nose dialogue like that i i like having that reinforced um honestly in the these days i kind of need to hear more stuff like that well, it, it just um, wasn't earned in that case either i mean we can definitely argue philosophically about whether the Man of Steel BVS model will, would ever work or ever should work, but at least with Civil War, with those characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we felt like a little more earned, I think. So that was just compounding problem on problem. Right. And then when you have anti-heroes like Deadpool, give them their own movies. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's just, right. yeah, divide it, up, <laughs> divide it up the right way, um, I, I guess is what we're saying here. So, um, so sorry, I, I, was, I was just going to say, I back you up. People love the CW shows because they're saving people. Um, and if nothing else, we know, uh, you know, Supergirl saving people. And just because you reminded me, we say Jessica Jones. What's great is they're kind of a, a dark mirror of one another in a lot of ways. Um, right. And the fact that um, Jessica Jones is constantly saving people at the expense of herself, you right. know what I mean? It just takes such a load on her soul. I wonder if that's going to start happening with Supergirl as she realizes things are getting more complicated. I wasn't expecting the level of naivete, um, you know, uh, intentional naivete that Melissa Benoist plays the character with, you know, that, that she's barely even picking up this guy really likes her I, I is really endearing about her i mean it matters to be like family friendly chaste but not prude you know what i mean like uh, it's hard to describe it, sure it, it's yeah. not it's sort of a personal naivete a sort of a personal obliviousness yeah, of course um, from another it's planet. not a naivete about the world around her exactly i mean her conversations with livewire where she says look you know don't kill this person we're not going to be friends but maybe i won't come after you until after I put this guy in jail, you know, this bargaining with this villain to save a guy's life. 
you know, that that's a little bit more kind of a realistic approach than, you know, of briefly teaming up with the bad guy than a purely naive person would uh, would go through. What I think both the CW shows and Jessica Jones have is that the shows are inherently optimistic. Even though I've said that Jessica maybe feels like a failure at the yeah, end of I had to argue one. that against you. You gave me a hard time when I said that. I thought the and show And I stand wasn't by my yeah. opinion that she sees herself as having failed, which is why yes. she says, oh, yeah. I'm not a hero, but I, I, if you fake it long enough, you might start to feel that way. Right. But the show, I think, does end, as you pointed out, on a more optimistic note. Whereas both the DCEU and... And I would argue the Nolan films are not inherently no. optimistic, especially if you take the three Nolan films back to back to back. No, they're um, not. Yeah. Where Bane undoes everything that Batman sacrificed himself for in Bane undoes it in less than six months, basically, and turns the town into raving, roving gangs who break into people's houses and beat old people to death. And there's no comeuppance over that ever. I mean, I, I mostly like the Dark Knight movies, but the bottom line is it is an entire movie trilogy about one character giving the sort of moral self-flagellation I described earlier about to be a superhero or not to be a superhero. Right. I wonder if there's some Christian stuff going on here, man. I never thought about that. They're so hard on themselves. It's like It's almost like they need... You know, like they need moral absolution or something. Like it, it almost makes sense. Daredevil would go to go to church a lot. You know, like I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Well, Daredevil's. You know, I have to be by myself. I have to be a martyr. That is very obviously taken from his interpretation of Catholicism and his Catholic background. Batman has no faith to speak of. Superman obviously grew up Christian cause he grew up in Kansas. Uh, you know, it's, he doesn't go to church a whole lot, but he was, you know, uh, came from a family of faith and a community of faith probably. Um, so, you know, it depends character to character. Oh, this is a great transition. Cause you did want to talk about legends also. Yeah. Was, uh, you never talk about Brandon Routh. I thought we liked him, but we never talk about legends. Even you don't even bring him up. Is he just not good in it? He's not a good role. Not much screen time. No, Brandon Routh is really good. Um, we don't talk about it in part because you don't watch it, and so you don't... I know, but hard. you know I like him and Katie lots. Sure, but it, it can be a little bit hard to have a conversation with somebody who has zero <laughs> background knowledge to come from to come from when I'm talking to you. So I'm basically... If I was talking to you about, I don't know, particle physics or something... <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about particle physics. I do, actually. But, like... Yeah. Okay, well, I don't know what's something you don't know anything about, There's but if I knew a lot about that, it Girls. would be hard for me to yeah, Well, <laughs> we can both talk about how little we understand that. Um, no, Brandon Routh is really good, and this uh, the season premiered uh, last week was a really good Brandon Routh episode because it is the plot of the episode. The plot of the show is they're trying to find Rip Hunter, who was their captain in season one, but he's kind of been lost in time. The bad guys want to find him for something. The good guys want to find him for something. It turns out that he's been living in the 1970s as a film director with a not particularly good American accent. Um, and the guy he's working with to make a movie that's basically a fictionalized version of his adventures with the legends is a young George Lucas. And so the season premiere opens with the bad guys, the, the Legion of Doom, which is um, Damien Dark. Reverse Flash, excuse me. Reverse Flash, as played by Matthew Lesher, the original guy, not Ben Kavanaugh, and Malcolm Merlin, John Barrowman's character. Uh, they 
raid his movie set. They shoot a bunch of people with energy weapons, and they're so frightening that George Lucas wants to give up filmmaking and drop out of film school. And that's a problem because Ray Palmer, Brandon Routh's character, was inspired to become an inventor because of watching Star Wars. And Nate Haywood, Citizen Steel, was inspired to be an archaeologist because of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So those movies never get made. Um, I think they joke that he turns out to be like the best car salesman in Michigan or something like that. Um, George Lucas does. So they lose their powers and also a lot of their knowledge and intelligence. And so then when they get pinned down at the end of the episode, they don't have the weapons to defend themselves and they're all going to die. And so the whole episode hinges on getting a young George Lucas to admit what I really want to do is direct. And then the second (laughs) he says that, like the way I just said it, Nate gains back his super metal skin powers. Ray gets his suit back. They fly out. They beat the bad guys. And for a little while anyway, and the timeline is restored. It's a a very cute episode. There's a lot of throwbacks to Star Wars in it. Um, Amaya Vixen says, you're our only hope. At one point, they all get thrown into a trash compactor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh Um, But it's also a nice little meta moment in the idea that George Lucas was maybe the last real revolutionary sci-fi creator in that he basically inspired a generation of people to want to delve into this world, either as filmmakers or writers or comic book writers. Um, Mm -hmm. And there really hasn't been anybody who dramatically changed the game or dramatically brought those genres out into the world since him. There were ones before, obviously Tolkien basically invented modern fantasy C.S. Lewis, to a lesser extent, with the Narnia In addition book. to H.P. Lovecraft, which I'm starting to appreciate more and more, I used to oh, give Lovecraft everything to uh, yeah, I used to give everything to Tolkien. But Lovecraft is really underrated. Sorry, Lovecraft did a lot, created a lot of modern sort of sci-fi horror elements. You know, right. John Carpenter, for instance, and all the great horror sci-fi movies he's made. John Carpenter was heavily inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, um, the Thing, his awesome alien attacks a a base in i think antarctica or the yeah antarctica that's almost a direct ripoff of uh mountains of madness which is one of lovecraft's best stories but those guys were all you know tolkien was the 30s lovecraft was the 1910s and 1920s um so lucas he did his thing in the late 70s and 80s and he was the maybe the last really great sci-fi visionary um and it was cool to have an episode just sort of about how much the modern. Are you saying Lucas was the last great visionary? George Lucas. Interesting. Was, huh. Or not the last, but, you know, he brought science fiction to the world Ridley in Scott? a way that. Yeah, I don't think Ridley Scott. He was a, he's a great sci fi filmmaker. Yeah. I think George Lucas right changed now. the game. Oh, and I yeah. Think no question brought, about that. No question. I, I'm just trying. He brought sci fi yeah. to the country and the world in a way that even ridley scott did not well that's a good meta question and we need one for each show so this will be it to tie it back to the beginning and not that i'm cutting off but to right. go back to the expanse which we talked a lot about and really liked and um yeah dude i'm excited that we have a show i think that we're both watching and it's going to be kind of new and fresh at the same time <laughs> for us you know because usually it's you're catching up on something me more likely me catching something with you um right. but to go full circle so from lucas to james corey you know i mean yeah, has there been any sort of momentous changer of the game in science fiction since then? Um, 
Maybe the obvious answer is no. It, it's just Lucas and then some pretty decent writers like Scalzi and Corey. Sure. I mean, yeah, there have been good writers. Did you read Old Man's War? Did you ever get around to reading Old Man's War? Oh, I'm through two books already. It's very good. He's, I think he's releasing the final one in the series uh, coming up here. Um, it's great stuff, but it's clearly derivative, and he makes fun of the fact inside the book that it's derivative. That's what I love and about Scalzi. Red Shirts is all about yeah. how, you know, and Ron Barry, Ron Barry brought sci-fi to the world to some extent, but yes, really, that was before. you know, this idea that we now have this TV, these slate of TV shows that are all based to some extent on science fiction concepts, time travel, super-powered suits, you know, assassins who can resurrect, all, all of these sci-fi or fantasy themes, all of that, this world that we have now of television, you know, space travel, all of it, in a lot of ways, Lucas was the one who really mainstreamed that and made it all possible 30, 35 years ago. Um, and that's the boon that everybody owes. You know, if it had just been Star Trek and we'd never gone to Star Wars, sci-fi would have probably receded to pulp stuff. You know, the way it was looked at kind of in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Great writers, very small audience, very little penetration into the larger culture. Star Wars made sci-fi the larger culture. And even more than that, and you know I love Star Trek and Roddenberry. However... Star Wars was more unprecedented than Star Trek, if you go to the books. I mean, Asimov and those guys were writing books in the vein, at least, of Star Trek, of hard science yeah. fiction. This, the, Space this, travel, colonizations, right. aliens. And so if, if, you, if you listen to people who experienced you know, Star Wars as, as, as kids or semi-adults when it came out, they compared it to Flash Gordon. <laughs> it was like a pulpy right. comic book action hero character in space. You know, It was like completely unprecedented to have you know, ships but laser swords and magic all together. And, and no one's been able to replicate it on screen or in book. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So the first episode of Legends was this or after the midseason break real nice tribute you know even if it's cheesy and it it certainly was cheesy at times it does raise this interesting question of all these tv shows that we have to talk about now would we have ever gotten them if we didn't have star wars and my hunch is no nope, nope. just for money reasons yeah they wouldn't even invest yeah you know the profitability of sci-fi which has been corrupted or, or co-opted or whatever you want to say. But yeah, Lucas creating sci-fi as something that could really make large amounts of money. And the aesthetic is exactly the same. I mean, you watch Star Wars Rebels, and maybe this will be Bizzle's Corner really quickly, and I'll throw it back to you, and you can wrap on anything you want. Is right. You watch Star Wars Rebels, you know, and they're having entire arcs about the Mandalorians, which is Boba Fett's people. I mean, right. the, the aesthetic, and these are kids on the Disney Channel decades and decades afterwards. You could change the vision any way you want to, but Rogue One is like the greatest living homage to the original movies possible, whatever you think of it. I mean, sure. it, it did everything possible to not only not hurt continuity, but to expand on, you know, continuity um, and fit within what, what's already come before it, you know? And, uh, right. and and I think we are, though, in a generation with Lucas where, you know, guys like J.J. Abrams and Gareth Edwards and, and Ryan Johnson and, you know, these guys, they're in their 40s and 50s. I mean, they were 
like uh, 12 when they saw the original <laughs> Star Wars or, or eight, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's clearly showing in the love that, that, that they have for the material. I do wonder what will happen after the, the generation um, after that. It, that's a great homage. Do you think they need any, uh, any clearances or anything to, to do a whole episode like that? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe. I mean, there's all kinds of copyright rules that, you know, if you're parodying or satiring, it's okay. Oh, speaking I, of uh, connections in the nerdverse, sorry, man. Um, yeah. uh, it is Bizzle's Corner, after all. Um, yes. is, is Brandon Routh, who has been on more than once to uh, tabletop Will Wheaton's acclaimed and very heavily watched uh, uh, internet tabletop uh, show, entertainment show. Brandon Routh right. won the most recent episode. Uh, it was all a right. game I didn't know called Dragon Farkle, and it's all about it's a thematic game where you build up these armies of dumbass uh, knights and, and throw them <laughs> to be slaughtered by dragons based on dice rolling and, and the you know faint hope that, that you might slay the dragon and win the game. It's quite hilarious. He is a fierce dice roller. He was on a, <laughs> he was on a couple seasons ago. You'll like this. He, uh, playing a game. Um, actually, you would really be fascinated in sort of the archaeology of this game. Um, uh, where uh, you're, you're, it's basically based on like a pulpy 30s um, American or European pulpy 30s adventure story where you're trying to go around killing Nazis and you find that they're it's called fortune and glory and they're you know going into all these we were talking about you know all these uh, you know sacred sites and ma- you know magical mystical things and you got to stop the Nazis from finding it or whatever and, uh, and so it's Will Wheaton, Brandon Routh and it's Felicia Day and Felicia Day's younger brother Ryan who's now like a big part of the Geek and sundry channel and and felicia day is like trying to get in brandon rouse pants so badly you wouldn't believe it i mean it's just so funny she wasn't even trying to hide it you Mm. know um and speaking of which she just had a baby so congratulations to felicia day i'm pretty sure it was not brandon rouse baby I don't but believe so. She's very public uh, about her, her young child, um, and so Brandon Ralph just seems like a great guy. I mean, he's definitely friend friends with nerds, and he's a nerd himself. I mean, you know, he, you can right. just tell you can just tell that, and so I think that shows through in these characters, and they get a bump even if it's not the perfect role or it's not the perfect script. Um, I'm just gonna really quickly tease that uh, I'm gonna be releasing later this week a Star Wars Rebels podcast that I've never thought would happen in a bazillion years with my buddy Adam Dietz who got me into it through his uh, very um, infectious love of all things Star Wars and a show that I've, I've come to think is actually better than uh, its reputation. I, I'm not sure what exactly what its reputation is. Very well done show. Vikings, which I teased I would talk about this week. I was extremely disappointed with the ending, but I'm not going to wait on this show uh, with that or with the time because me and my dad are going to do a Vikings retrospective in the near future. So many going forward other than expanse we do have legion next week i want to tease the bizzlecast listeners by the time you're listening to this it'll be on i think in a day or two from now was it on wednesday the 8th wednesdays i believe yeah yeah wednesday the wednesday's the 8th on fx uh, created by noah holly of fargo so we know the creators are good. The early reviews are, for the most part, really, really excellent. It's technically about Charles Xavier, Professor X's son, David, but it, it, they're very, very, very loosely connecting it to the X-Men universe, and it's not, as Matt uh, made sure we uh, pointed out, Matt, m- let me make sure I got this right here, there is zero connection between this and any X-Men property that we've seen before. I believe, I mean, 
they have it said it's not part of like the X-Men cartoons, but it's not. No, it has nothing to do with the X-Men film universe. So we are not going to see James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart unless they come on playing another version of Charles Xavier. We're not going to see Hugh Jackman, I would assume, as Wolverine. I, I actually would be really surprised if any major name mutants showed up on the yep. show because they would kind of naturally upstage this guy that nobody knows of. And it's got Aubrey Plaza in it, who's yep. fantastic at everything she does. His his girlfriend is named Sid Barrett, in tribute to the Pink Floyd <laughs> member. Um, I think this is going to be really who trippy. Who went crazy, so that's interesting. Yeah, who went crazy. This is going to be super trippy. And I'm getting that Homeland Season 1 vibe. And by that, I mean Homeland Season 1, other than being acclaimed and winning a bazillion awards and reestablishing Claire Danes as a giant star, Morena Baccarin's career back on track and all sorts of stuff was about mental illness i mean it was theoretically about and it wasn't just about claire danes's character's mental illness it's about da- uh, damian lewis as brody who is he a terrorist isn't he a terrorist turns out to be a terrorist but then doesn't do it who's damaged and tortured in, in, in iraq and turned into sort of a sleeper terrorist but the hesitant one and carrie matheson played by claire danes it was all about mental illness in the same way jessica jones was, was somewhat about mental illness um in, in a constructive way and I, i'm getting that vibe from this man Sure, I never watched. So we'll uh, I never watched um, Homeland, so I I don't know or not. But it does certainly seem to be, you know, that this guy is a schizophrenic, or his powers manifest as schizophrenia, and so he, um, you know, that's all part of it. It seems like they're going to try to deal with it pretty, uh, pretty gingerly. So I I I don't think we're going to hear a lot of screaming from mental health activist groups calling this unfair. I think it's going to be really good. Um, I think it's going to look pretty cool, and uh, it looks kind of funny um, and weird. And I'm all I'm all for funny and weird. You definitely don't bring on Aubrey Plaza in a super support role unless you want funny and weird involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone says Dan Stevens is magnetic. I will just share with you um, that he describes his character as, quote, truly insane, but he says it in kind of a, a loving way. And so <laughs> it's really going to come down to, Matt, with these sort of you know psychological shows, whether we can relate to their insanity, you know, whatever it, form it's taking in various weeks. Like, I tried to watch Mr. Robot for like five seconds and completely was turned off by that character and just could not watch any of it. And so I think this is going to be one of those cases where I'm going to identify with this character or not and ride based on it. I, I mean, I, I've never given... Uh, there was one scene I saw from uh, from Mr. Robot towards the end, so I didn't know what was going on or what the context was, but the scene was basically a dude chokes a woman to death while having what looks like non-consensual sex. And I was like, I, I don't think I can watch this show anymore. It's awful. I, it might have been a different scene and I just was interpreting it wrong, but it was pretty violent and it was a bad place to start for me probably. Okay, so uh, as a way to close out, we're going to reintroduce a segment that's going to continue to evolve that we are currently calling Why Gotham? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and the reason we call it that is because every week – there is a moment that kind of just makes you ask, why? Why, Gotham? This week, my question is, why, Gotham? Why did you think that Batman the Killing Joke was the graphic novel you needed to steal all your visuals from 
for your winter finale, whatever the hell that means, because I don't know how a show that breaks in mid-December is not also a winter finale. That's besides the point. (laughs) The episode is the culmination of this conflict with Jerome, uh, Cameron Monaghan's character, sort of a a proto-Joker or a young Joker. He gets resurrected from the dead, seriously, um, and then proceeds to go on the same exact tear that Heath Ledger's Joker in the Dark Knight goes on, which is, if I challenge the city enough, I can make everybody go crazy. Um, the Joker obviously does it with the whole test on the fairies, um, this t- or by seeing if he can make everyone go nuts by making the Diego nuts. Um, this time around, Cameron Monaghan turns off the power. He blows up a power station. The whole city loses power for 24 hours, which doesn't make any sense that a city that big would have no backup solution anywhere that one station could go down and the whole town is black for 48 hours. Doesn't make any sense. And so everybody goes crazy. The cops are overspent. Joker kidnaps young Bruce Wayne. And then this is where we start getting into the graphic novel, the killing joke, um, which is a graphic novel written by, uh, I think Alan Moore where, the thing it's most famous for is Barbara Gordon, Jim Gordon's daughter, Batgirl, in the comics has been paralyzed for most of the last 30 years. And The Killing Joke is the graphic novel where she gets uh, paralyzed. She gets shot through the spine by uh, the Joker in an effort to uh, drive uh, Commissioner Gordon insane. He kidnaps Gordon and then drags him through this crazy-ass carnival where he shows him a bunch of pictures of his daughter bleeding to death. It's really misogynistic, which is one of the reasons people don't like the graphic novel very much. Um, and just talk about how everything it's better. If you're crazy, you don't have to feel guilty. Doesn't work. Batman finally saves Gordon. Gordon's fine. Jim Gordon, Barbara Gordon's paralyzed. Dude, you should totally do an Alan Moore podcast, man. You would, you'd wreck it. You have so much to say on this guy. <laughs> I'll think about it in any event. <laughs> I mean, um, I'll just interview you because I, I have no experience. I'll, you'll just sure. give me the Alan questions. Moore I'll interview you. Alan himself has distanced himself from this uh, graphic novel. What hasn't it, he distanced himself from? He's distanced well, that's also true. Well, he distances himself from every movie ever made. But even this, he's like, this was not my best work. Um, it's certainly not very, you know, there's a final confrontation between Joker and Batman that's pretty good where the Joker tells this joke about how, Batman says, look, if we keep doing this, we're going to end up killing each other. I don't want that. You don't have to be alone. Maybe I could help you. Joker's like, it's too late for me. Thanks. Here's a joke. Two crazy people decide they want to escape from an asylum. So they escape and then they're on the top of a roof and they can see freedom up ahead. And one guy is afraid and says, well, don't worry. The other guy says, don't worry. I'm not afraid. I'll go across and throw an invisible bridge across the the buildings for you to escape on and the other guy says are you nuts you just pull that bridge out the second i stepped on it and then batman and the joker start laughing which is a very powerful image whatever bruce wayne gets taken by jerome through this crazy carnival and and he gets his face painted so he's wearing like he's got mask it's like a batman mask almost it's a clown makeup but you get where they're going with it and then the two of them fight and the fight is okay but there's so many moments that are just straight from the killing joke. And they already made the killing joke movie last year. And in it, Batman and Batgirl fuck something. Nobody ever, 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 ever really wanted to see. Not make love people. Fuck. 
No, it's yeah, it's weird and violent and forced and creepy as all Ooh, hell. Sounds like Zack com- Snyder was involved. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, it'll be you know what'll be the David great Goyer irony, who th- or David Goyer who thinks the only reason they yeah. created She Hulk was so the Hulk could have right. somebody to fuck. So. All right, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> it would be interesting, Matt, and I am rooting for Wonder Woman. I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I'm rooting for it. I think Chris Pine helps any movie that he's in. Yeah. Um, it looks fucking cool. Like It looks like everything Z- Snyder's tried to do from a fighting standpoint and never pulled off. It seems like they've pulled it off, Patty Jenkins or whoever. Yeah, sure. But, I, I don't know. I but know. If, if somehow... Supergirl, um, Supergirl, uh, Wonder Woman was the one to survive the DCEU without Zack Snyder. That would be such a great kick in the balls on the way out, right? I mean, be like, yep, we've got our DCEU hero. She's Wonder Woman, and Patty Jenkins is the director. Not you, Zack Snyder, who screwed up both Batman and Superman. It would be kind of funny if they scrapped the whole thing, and the only person who keeps the job after they come up with the next idea because you know if the DCEU collapses, they're not going to stop making movies out of DC characters. They're going to just try to come up with a better plan. Yep. Um, it'd be funny if she was the one who's, who hangs around, um, that she's the only one who gets to keep her job. There certainly is no one else playing Wonder Woman right now. I mean, there is a Superman on Supergirl. There is another Flash. There is another John Jones they could introduce a green lantern on one of those shows. It really would not be out of place for him to show up certainly on legends, but he could really show up on any of them. Barry Allen and Hal Jordan are great friends in the comics and Hal Jordan and green arrow. Sorry. No, the two of them for, there was a year long series, I think in the seventies where the two of them basically just team up where Oliver's like, you don't understand anything about this country anymore because you're too off busy fighting aliens in space. Okay. So we're going to go on a road trip. Okay. And I'm going to show sorry. you all these shit I wasn't going to bring this up, man. I, but have, I got to talk to you about it because you're my TV therapist. Okay. I can't take Arrow anymore, man. It's like I've just yeah. lost it. It's like, you know, it's it's like, it's like I just can't get it up anymore with my TV boner. Like, it's like there's nothing there. I'm not there. helping you with that. They have drugs for that. Well, not for TV boners. If there were, I'd be taking them right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's you know the rhythm, and this is a problem with all the CW shows, but specifically Arrow. The rhythm is so predictable. You know who's going to complain when Oliver is just babysitting all these whiny kids, including his ex, almost wife, and constantly brooding sidekick. I'm sick of all of them. I wish they would all die, other than Thea, honestly, and just completely reboot <laughs> Arrow. Uh, I'm hoping they start killing off people as the series winds out. Although it doesn't seem like it's winding down anytime soon. And this is well, we no know it's coming back next year. So. Yeah, and this is no insult. You know I love Felicity when she's written for a while. But now she's in a giant zoo with all of these half-rate actors in half-written roles. And he's constantly up to justifying himself to them. I mean, this is like... Remember when I complained when he started stopped killing and they just... It wasn't the stopping well, of killing. Well, he kills a lot of people. I know, I know he does. I know he does. I know he does. But my point is... It's pretty awesome, actually. But, but I thought it was a problem when he not only stopped killing in season two, but they constantly talked about the stopping of killing. But I right. come to terms with that. But now he has all these kids to answer to who haven't proven shit. I mean, Wild Dog, I just really wanted to smack with a, on, on one end, and then I want to smack What's-Her-Face with the other end, and then I want to smack Curtis with the other end. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm smacking with. I don't like these kids. I, I miss old Stephen Amell. I want old original team Arrow rant over. Well, I'm really concerned now that we have had two straight episodes with no Thea. That tells me that Thea Queen 
uh, that uh, uh, Willa Holland wants off the show, which means her character might die. And good. I've s- I mean, not good for us, but good for Willa Holland to want to go do something else. Yeah, I mean, she's so talented. She could be in movies. Presence in a way that suggests to me that movies. either she had some project she had to do, which does sometimes happen, and so they just they didn't have her as much yeah. this year. How about um, her old neighbor from the Hamptons, Steven Spielberg's giving her a call, going, "Hey, Thea." I mean, hey, Willa, I got a, I got, I got a role for you in my new movie. I, I did discover you in the first place. Look, Mr. Terrific, I have not liked. I uh, actually have found Rick Gonzalez more and more endearing as Wild Dog. This he's last at episode, least consistent. I mean, his character makes sense. Yeah, and the gimmick of him trying to eat larger and larger cheeseburgers yeah. each day, which is kind of an, an ongoing joke in this past episode. And he comments on I his weaknesses. Funny. I, yeah. I, I really liked it. No, he he's he's the most tolerable. I, I, I mean, normally... And I like Rory yeah. Reagan. And yeah. this side plot uh. of him and Felicity, I thought was actually quite enjoyable. I, I liked the two sardonically funny ones kind of going off on their own shtick together. He has a really nerdy delivery, and they're trying to give him the same lines as everyone else. It makes no sense. They're not writing for their characters. That's the problem. They're just writing and giving lines out. No, I, I think the B team has not been as strong as the A team. I'm waiting to see Diggle back. I'm waiting to, you know, we haven't seen him do all that much this season. You know, we have not seen any speedy. Um, I mean, honestly, this, is, this isn't really fair. Be long a little yeah. bit for Roy Harper. Um, yeah, yeah, Roy at least fit in with the team. I, I agree. I agree. I'd be fine with Roy Harper taking over from these these scrubs. Yeah, he's Curtis in particular. I've been yeah. saving this for weeks. Curtis is a character that they wrote on a piece of paper, like 30 things that they wanted to shove into a, a, a gay African-American character. Yeah. And then they cast someone who is hipster, extremely good looking, you know, way too good at everything, way too funny that it's not funny. I mean, it, it really, it's unlike Felicity, which they just drew on the natural personality of Bet Records and right. expanded upon it. That was a character. I mean, honestly, man, in the early seasons, they were writing for Felicity better than anyone on the show including Oliver, I thought. She definitely had some really great moments very quickly in the show. No, I'm with you. I I, I want to like Mr. Terrific so much, nope. but he just his character doesn't work and he doesn't feel he feels inorganic. He feels like He's what you the guy at the as, bar. as a collection yeah. of attributes instead of a person. He he comes just comes off as a hipster douchebag, the guy at the bar that's just taking up space and giving you weird looks, you know. Has nothing right. to do with his race or his sexuality. He's just like kind of a hipster douchebag and I, I just you know, and the fact that he's stealing Felicity's humor immediately, you know, makes her humor way less effective because of it. I don't know what they're thinking. And the, the weird thing with that is when they introduced Ray Palmer, he was fairly similar to Curtis, you know, really smart, primarily interactive. Are you talking about Brandon Routh? Yeah. He uh, should have stayed on the fucking show. What the hell well, did they do? Get ready. Oh, sorry. They had too many characters. No, he would have been great. He would have been great. Well, I, I liked his chemistry with them. He had great Loved chemistry it. with Emily Bett Rickards. He yes. didn't steal her thunder. Sarah should still be on the shows, too. They should never have Legends of Tomorrow. They should be on Arrow. It'd be way better. Well, Legends of Tomorrow, they have admitted, was a show they sort of came up with on the fly and won, and just wanted to do something, and so now they're kind of stuck with it. I don't think the Adam and... Uh, white canary are bad on legends at all i i i, I don't didn't say that i just said i wish they were still on arrow yeah i wish they'd show up on arrow yeah, i mean come on. one thing that's kind of interesting is 
these shows are crossing over with each other or referencing referencing each other more than like ever before. When Vibe fights Gypsy in the Flash, please don't call him Vibe. Sp- it just makes me angry. Cisco. When Cisco and Thank Gypsy you. fight in this past episode, they battle through different Earths and they show up in uh, Cat Grant's office in Supergirl. When this whole episode of Arrow takes place in Central City and they just call Detective Singh. And then the Flash shows up for five seconds to leave a note saying this guy's legit. And, and I'm sorry. And Felicity and Ray had great physical chemistry. Those two. Yes. I bought their relationship way more than her and Oliver. E, sure. I mean, although on yeah. paper you'd think she would be more attracted to a guy like Oliver. So I get why they did that, you know, because her and Ray are so similar and being brainiacs. But just the two of them, I, it was like very comfortable. Even if they didn't end up together, it would have been a great friendship with some weird tension, you know. Like I, I agree with yeah. you. Like why just save the crossovers for once a season? That's what makes the show so awesome. And when you're on the weaker end, like like Legends, you'd think you'd be trying to shove it in a little bit more. Pardon the language. And. That does raise an interesting point that I was sort of trying to get to of – so Emily Bett Rickards and Brandon Routh had really great chemistry. Then they introduced Echo Kellum to be a similar role. Now, obviously, they're not going to have sexual chemistry because Mr. Terrific's character is gay, but that still isn't enough to explain why she and Curtis don't seem to mesh nearly as well as Felicity and Ray did, except that Curtis's character is just not as good. I mean – it's a derivative, less interesting version. Yeah, kind so, of. So, all right, man. We'll take us out with the final thought here, and we'll wrap up. Uh, people, next week, just to preview really quickly, we are definitely going to talk Expanse. We are definitely going to talk Legion. There will for sure be some CW. Um, Taboo may pop back in. Are there any shows coming out in the next couple weeks that we're missing? Walking Dead comes back oh. next Sunday, a uh, week from uh, February 12th, and then Humans, the... AF, uh, AMC robot show comes back on the air February 13th. Well, you don't need uh, us to talk about the, the, the walking dead. Cause Chris Hardwick can tell you exactly what to think. Indeed. Uh, he probably <laughs> already has and will continue to do so. Um, so we don't need to t- be do talking dead cause he already does talking dead. Uh, uh, wouldn't it be way better if Jenny McCarthy was ho- hosting talking dead? <laughs> no, I don't want to see Jenny McCarthy, uh, get any more fame because then she'll use it to, continue to promote the idea that vaccines cause autism. Oh, is she one of those people? She started that shit. Oh, God. That whole thing is her fucking fault. We love anyway. you, Jamie McCarthy, pre-1995. Wish you stayed the same. Okay. I don't even think I like that. I liked her on baseball. <laughs> that's a hilarious movie um so this is a great way to end man is where's our comedies i know you don't watch comedies very much but it just seems impossible to find like smart comedies anywhere it's like the one that we would normally like we've already discussed which is always sunny and we've talked about why you know it's not the show for us even though we respect it but that is the level and type of humor we would be into now you have trouble with the awkward humor like uh with curb or with um with the office and stuff like that so I, I i totally get that i mean what right what would be your ideal comedy that, that you could have access to well i watch modern family every week um you do? i didn't know that yeah it's a great I've watched show since the beginning i think modern family is hilarious it's a great show i think it's crap that sofia vergara hasn't gotten an emmy yet she's won I a bazillion the, million awards seriously she's not won an emmy though yeah. and she really deserves it i think the problem is her character is really funny, but also really sexy. And it's yeah, that she's too weird, hot. She's too hot. weird. Can comedians be sexy thing? There's a really interesting 
article I read from about five years ago about um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has won a million awards. Oh, right. please. Olivia Munn is not she, that talented. She's pretty funny. She's she was funny. pretty funny she's on... not Julia Louis-Dreyfus or, uh, or, or... No, but she's Sophia. much, much sexier than Julia Louis-Dreyfus ever was. Yeah, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like it or not, in the 90s was like the sex icon, you know, while being on Seinfeld. Like, that might have been a I while think, ago. I think the people on Friends had her beat in that category. Um, but yeah... I don't no, even know how to engage you on this. I really like... So you know, I've, I enjoy community, but never quite got into it. You know, I like action shows that have something funny happen in them. You know, Supergirl has a lot of humor. Arrow has Wild Dog eating larger and larger cheeseburgers. That, to me, is funny because it's like, where the hell did this come from? It feels quirky and enjoyable. Yeah, I, I think these shows are going to start dragging down Supergirl in a year or two is my, my concern. Because we'll that's the see. only show that seems to be on the up and up for me. That still has a lo- lot of potential going up, and they and they and they pace it the same way as these other shows. The cuts are exactly the same. Um, you know, like the scenes never go on slightly longer or less long than you think. You know exactly how long the scene's going to go. I, I I would just love you know for. Uh, the people who do some of these other properties to get their hands on Supergirl, but it's not going to happen. And the good news is her team of writers is extremely dedicated and extremely talented, and they know how important what they're doing is. So I trust them. I know I'm new to Supergirl, but I've been tracking it for a while. I trust their writers more than the other other show's writers going forward. And uh, I, well, I can't speak to Flash. You like this week's flash? Let's let's end on this, and then we'll 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 real sign off. You had a fun a funny uh, uh, flash uh, moment this week, or a fun moment? Yeah, the Flash in a wonderful bit of probably unintentional tie-in has a scene with Legos, and we are about to get Lego Batman. Mm, what a coincidence! Yeah, I I'm pretty sure it was not in fact uh, unintentional at all, but it's really cute when they're trying to figure out how to save. Uh, um, iris in the future from savitar how to cover the distance and so they've created a lego landscape of all of the buildings and they have like a little lego savitar and a little lego flash it's very adorable very funny um and uh i i don't know i got a big kick out of it i think the movie looks hysterical i might actually go back on my site and see it in the theater it looks so funny i mean the, the voice work in that movie looks spectacular and i wonder if man ben affleck takes a look at the lego batman movie and his movie and the fact that they're making fun of his movie in the same you know extended universe and it's like fuck you guys you know what i mean (laughs) like you took us so seriously that people grew to hate us and now you're making money off of making fun of it you know what i mean like i don't know i might be looking too much into it but if i'm ben affleck Tie it back together. I'm I'm getting out of that whole project situation as quick as possible. Justice League Two is definitely never happening. I agree with you. I don't think. Or I agree with well, I think if Justice that. League makes a billion dollars, it is gonna, they're going to be Justice League Two. Yeah, but if they're going to spend six hundred million for that movie to well, market maybe. it. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to see what the box office on Justice League is. Um, if Batman, if Ben Affleck leaves, and I think he will, will it will have very little to do with the Lego Batman movie. I think it will. He will have made that decision a while ago. And I know you're not that excited excited about Logan, which is coming out in a few weeks, but I am. Well, good because I, I will I, always that too. I, I will always, uh, you know, for the great actors out there, 
You know, I mean, Gladiator, the way it was originally written, was shit. And fucking Russell Crowe half rewrote that movie by himself, which has been confirmed by both himself and the writer of Gladiator. That movie wasn't a great movie, but should have been a horrible movie. Made great by Russell Crowe. Hugh Jackman has that potential. The little girl looks awesome. The rated R thing, I think, could work. Patrick Stewart, God bless him. You know, he's like 73. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's really old now. He, He was like in his mid to late 40s during Next Generation. You'd never believe it. So enjoy, people. By the time you're listening to this, we will have had our Super Bowl, which I'm only watching under duress from my family. I'm (laughs) planning on being on the phone and texting and on my computer the entire game and not watching it because I've always hated the Super Bowl, and I hate it more now for specific reasons I'm not going to get into that if you know me or listen to the Bizzlecast, you know. I'm glad I have a reason to hate it now, but I hate it even more for having to watch it. Predictions? Here's my prediction. (laughs) The world sucks right now. And regardless of who wins tomorrow night, whether or not it's the team that's got some high profile people that Donald Trump likes or the team that doesn't wins the next day, the world is going to continue sucking. Yep. So other than maybe that's how I've always felt though. That's how I always felt with the Super Bowl. Right. So this idea, so talking yourself and I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to just people in general, talking yourself out of enjoying something on the you know because for an hour it might make you feel worse if the outcome is what you expect it's going to be i think is a fruitless gesture and i don't know why a person would intentionally make themselves more miserable sure. when there are so many outside sources of misery to draw on i mean i i hated football growing up eagles were terrible uh, all our other teams were better at least more entertaining then we had donovan McNabb for nine years it was awesome I got into it. The whole city was into it. It was a positive vibe. Everyone was out wearing the jerseys. We had Brian Westbrook, Brian Dawkins, Jeremiah Trotter, Hugh Douglas, yada, yada, yada. Great, amazing team. Freddie Mitchell. (laughs) I'm saying that sarcastically. Oh, dude, we make fun of Freddie Mitchell all the time. Yeah, Fred X. Fred X was a great nickname. Fred X. I think he gave himself that, which is just the yeah, perfect he did. Oh, all his nicknames. Yeah. of who Freddie Mitchell was. As right, a person. right. Said Fred um, was another one, another popular one. But I, as soon as McNabb left, I immediately realized I hated football again. I mean, I genuinely like baseball, basketball, and hockey. I have no interest in football. I don't want to be that guy. I just don't care. Then that's fine. But then. If you don't like football anyway, then it's irrelevant who's playing, who they like, know, who they don't like. Watch because it's the Super Bowl. Well, then don't watch. I, I can't. Mean, I My have, family's in town specifically the baby's oh, birthday well, in the Super Bowl. I got to watch it. Well, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Just Although Lady Gaga, we will be talking about next week. I'm sure we'll have some. You know, <laughs> you know that Fox is, has been uh, scanning the ads and having to approve scripts and stuff ahead of time, like more yeah, than usual. Yeah, there's been some gag order rules on her too. And but Budweiser apparently is doing like a big immigrant story thing. Yeah, whatever. I mean, we'll have to see what the ads are. Well, the are point is, are. their money's too big for Fox to say no to. They're the only <laughs> ones that can get it through. So That's we'll true. have, hey, man, this is television. We might have to recap just the spectacle of it next week, depending sure. on what goes down. I know you're still rooting for the Patriots no matter what. I won't put yeah. you on the record that, uh, um, even though I am they're rooting you know. for the Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan, and I don't yeah, care. It's okay. Even though Belichick, Brady, and Gronkowski are three of the biggest sports douches ever. In any so sport. what? But anyway, you don't think that Freddie Mitchell was a big sports dude? Yeah, but we never loved him, and he was never a star. He was good for one year. He he was good for two weeks. Um. <laughs> well, good luck, buddy. Good luck. You'll you will certainly be one of you and all the metropolitan area Boston people will be rooting for your team, and everyone else will, and literally will not. nobody else will. <laughs> I totally get that. Which means they're gonna win. That. They're gonna win. There's, 
all kinds of reasons to hate the Patriots. Their ownership like being friends with Trump is a perfectly valid reason to hate them. Whatever. I, I mean, Putin I has think one of the of rings. People, Putin what? has one of the rings. P- Putin has one of um. He does, but he rings. stole that ring. He yep. did not. He stole it. it. Kraft did not intend to give I know. it to him. I know. The Putin irony of irony. Said, oh, this was a lovely gift from you. And Kraft had to sort of fake it that he gave it to him. Putin basically took that. Um, All right. That's about as close as you can get to politics from us people. Thank you for listening to Crossing Streams Episode 3. And we'll be with you next week. And we are out.